Welcome to the Open Up Cricket podcast. We're talking sport, fitness and mental health. Today I'm joined by Paul Johnson, a man who had a 21-year career in first-class cricket. And if I start with a quote that I picked out earlier, it says, Johnson bats as he talks, some of it sensible, some of it outrageous, a great deal of it entertaining, none of it dull. So we should be in for a good one today. Paul, hi. Hi. Um, yeah, I'm not too sure about that, but we'll, we'll see how we go. Okay. Now, as I was doing my research on this, one thing uh, struck me in particular was... The, the length of your career and you made your Sunday League debut at 17. If you cast your mind back to the, to then in 1981, how was that entering a dressing room with all these experienced pros and you're at an age where you can't legally buy a pint? Um, yeah, I was actually 16. Right, OK. Um, at the time, um, but uh, yeah, it was weird because I went down as, uh, as 12th man. I, I had no inkling that I was actually going to play that game. Uh, at Edgbaston. Um I just felt that I was going down for experience, um, and that um, you know it was uh, my introduction to get me used to to the dressing room. And then um, out of the blue, they um, they told me I was playing, which probably wasn't the worst thing in in hindsight. Um, obviously, with being as young as I was, I think I'd have sort of fretted and so on and so forth. It would have probably been nice to tell mum and dad that I was playing. Um, you know, they missed out on that, that first game, but at the end of the day, so be it. And it was, um, you know, it, it was an amazing, uh, amazing experience at a test ground at Edgebaston. So, you know, I, I got off the mark with uh, a pretty good venue as well. Yeah, yeah. What, what what was it that had had happened to be able to give you your debut at such a young age? Where did this weight of runs or retention come from? Um. I suppose, you know, you can put it down to luck or, or whatever, but I, um, I had a really good year as a 15-year-old um, playing for Knots and then got pull, put forward for nominations, made the Midlands side. Um, it was pre the Bunbury Festival, but it was that, that same festival. Um, and it was held at, at Boots Ground at Nottingham, so it was on the doorstep as well, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I, wasn't, you know, I thought I missed out at the time, but in hindsight... It was a fairly good thing, I think. And, um, you know, I, I managed to do well in that festival and get picked for, for England under 15. So, you know, it was, it was quite a rise the year before. Um, I was also playing football uh, for Lincoln City as a, a junior apprentice at the time. So um, I think that, you know, Knotts were aware of my football as, as much as, as anything else. And they offered me a contract, um, you know, at 15 stroke 16 because I'm, a, I'm an early April um, birthday, so I, I started on the staff at 15, soon to click in as a 16-year-old uh, that first season. So, yeah, it was I, I was very young in a very very strong, experienced dressing room. So the the learning curve I had was very very quick. Yeah. Okay. Now going into that that dressing room there, who would you have regarded? And I suppose this is this is quite a broad question given the length of your career, but who would stand out as being the best in terms of uh, being a professional? You know, it was a magnificent dressing room when you, you take into account that I had uh, Hadley, Rice, Randall, French, Hemmings, um, you know, all in that dressing room at that time. Um, Tim Robinson was very young um, 
um, and Chris Broad joined the following year, I believe. So, you know, there was a lot of very experienced, high-quality players in and around there. But Clive Rice is the one that, that stuck out as my captain, as someone who, you know, I'd probably put down as, as learning more about the game of cricket from him in, uh, in my time as a player and when he came back as, as manager-coach than anybody else in my career. So Rice was the, the, the main one that, um, you know, I learned Okay, and what was it that that he he showed you, which you were so keen to pick up on as an example? Um, you know, he, he wouldn't ask you to do anything that he wouldn't do himself. He, um, you know, acknowledged players who he considered had a, a cricket brain and would would tap into that. So he he wouldn't necessarily stand back and, and wait for you to express your opinion. He'd come to you and ask your opinion on. Uh, on cricketing matters, on field changes, on batting orders, on you know declarations and all things. Um, and and, and it, from a very young age, he um, you know he wasn't backward at coming forward and asking my opinion, which made me feel very special. You know, at a very very young age, and he and he was brilliant about trying to get um, you know the best out of people. I think my first seven first class hundreds. He, he was at the other end on five of those first seven occasions uh, and made batting, when you were batting with him, um, sound very simple. And He gave you very good plans and, um, you know, he, he, was, he was excellent at, at talking you through those situations. OK, yeah, that's great. Now, from that, then, having such a good leader and a really good um, established group of people in the dressing room, when you were when you're making your, your way in the game at an the, the, early age, what would you say your your philosophy or your style of, of batting was? And did that change over the years or did it stay fairly similar? Um, well, when, when I started in the, in the second team in, in 81, I was probably batting number six and number seven, uh, someone of that sort of that age. Um, but, you know, within a year or two, I, I, I found that obviously with, with us having Robinson, Broad and Randall in the top three, that we were going to be losing those for quite large amounts of time with test match call-ups. Um, so I volunteered um, to, to open the batting in the second team probably from around about 1982-83 because I thought if I did relatively well in the twos, then you know, automatically it stood me in for that step to get a first-team opportunity if one, two, or even all three of those were missing to test matches. Um, but I, you know, I was a, a free-flowing, probably middle-order batsman far more than I was a... Um, an established opening batter, but that was the way I found um, my way into the first team was to open my batting. Okay, that's interesting because a lot of a lot of players, I guess, whether it's across the amateur game and even creeping into the professional game, can get very hung up on what they th they think they are, rather than perhaps in your example trying to find find a way to actually get your foot through the door. So that's that's an, an interesting one. Now, when you were when you're in this position where you've managed to get a foothold in the team and then developing your career, so by the end of this 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 period, you, you've, you're the guy who's the, the established player who's passing on uh, the wisdom and so on. What routines, if any, did you go through in preparing for matches and innings? Well, I, I suppose back through all the 80s into the 90s, you know, if you ask any players who, who played through that, that era, uh, they would say that there were an absolute plethora of uh, fast bowlers. Um, you know, 
I think the West Indies could have probably put three teams out through the 80s and early 90s, and they'd been one, two, three in the world. So pretty much wherever you went, county-wise, there would be a West Indian or a South African Australian who was um, sort of wanging it around your ears. So I think primarily you, you, you know, it was installed into me, and especially at Trent Bridge on fast bouncy tracks, that you learned how to play back. You, 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 you made sure that you could play the short ball well. And, and when it was pitched up, that would pretty much look after itself. So, you know, the philosophy certainly at Trent Bridge and through my um, my early career was to learn how to play well off the back foot, to be able to uh, duck and dive, to be able to cut, pull and hook. And fortunately for me, um, being only five foot seven, um, you know, that, that was pretty much my game anyway. Um, so at that time, if it, if it had been spin orientated, which I... I Know, developed into a decent player spin down the line but early on it was it was mainly survival and just make sure that you could you could play the the fast bouncy delivery okay so in your training would you be having uh, your seamers bowling to, to to certain plans to make sure that you were best equipped as you could be to be going to face whichever overseas quicks well it was a little bit different um, back then as well you know there weren't the bowling machines around there weren't the indoor facilities per se um, so a lot of that work, and you, you couldn't really ask your your bowlers at that time to come in to, to open that situations and, and just bowl bounces at you because mm. that wasn't our philosophy. That a lot of the time was the opposition philosophy. Um, so it was it was just learning off the hoof really and learning very quickly from your mistakes, making sure that you make clever mistakes, not stupid ones, and and and, and, and you know pick the right shots at the right time. Um, and with players such as ones that I've mentioned, such as certainly Clive Rice, Richard Hadley, you know, they, they, they would tell you in no uncertain terms whether you were playing, you know, innings the, the correct way or, you know, you, whether you needed to just wind your neck in a little bit and learn from, you know, situations. And, you know, that dressing room at that time was uh, very much player-led and, and, you know, they weren't backward at coming forward and letting you know, certainly when you were, weren't doing things to the, to the right level. Um, but at the same time, with, with people such as Ricey around, if you did stuff well, you know that wouldn't be overlooked either. So it was a good combination and a good dressing room to be around, and you, you had to learn very quickly. Okay, yeah. Now you kind of touched on it here. What would you say was the the, the best way you found to deal with um, the failures associated with cricket? Because we've often spoken on this podcast or in the sessions that we do about the fact, particularly with batting that even when someone's statistics can, can look really impressive, there will still be more failure than there is success just by the nature of the game. So what was it in that group or individually that you did that made you able to cope with the challenges and the, the, the failures in inverted commas to then kick on and, and go again? Well, I suppose, again, it was we, we had an excellent manager at the time in Ken Taylor. Um, and as much as at times... Um, you'd say Rice, he was probably the bad cop. Ken Taylor was the good cop. And Ken, um, you know, would be the one that would go around the dressing room just reminding you, you know, at times where things weren't probably going as well as you wanted them to do individually, that you were a good player, that you, you know, you were in that team on merit, that, you know, it would only be a matter of time before, you know, you turned a corner. So he would give you really good self-belief and motivation in and around everything else that was going on, going on. Um, I suppose the good thing for me as well is that, you know, I, I regard myself as a good player, certainly not as a, a, as a 
world-class player, but to have world-class players playing around me in, you know, Broad, Robinson, Rice, Randall, you know, French, um, Hemmings, you know, down and through, there was always someone who could and probably did a majority of the time dovetail in to, to help you out of situations. And in, in successful dressing rooms, it probably makes that, that, that um, curve of poor form leave you that little bit earlier by having such good players around you that, you know, as a team, we weren't going through bad times. There was there was always good times around the corner with the quality of players that we had around us. Yeah, that's that's very, very interesting considering from the outside people view, can see cricket as being a very personalised individual game. But in those successful and high performing dressing rooms, the team aspect of it sounds like it really comes out. What did you do within an innings to be able to retain your concentration and focus, particularly with the challenges of, of opposition bowlers, but maybe batting over a particularly long period of time or on a, a tricky wicket. What kind of techniques did you use to make sure that you could just stay concentrated and focused? I think when things were, were tough, if you were facing someone of extreme pace or if you had um, you know, a, a, an interesting wicket, whether that was a seamer, whether it was something with steep bounce, whether it was something with turning, I don't think any professional player would have problem motivating themselves on wickets like that. For me, it was making sure I got myself motivated and, and up for playing on flat pitches where I should score runs. Um, um, at, at times, I probably took um, you know, things for granted. I probably, you know, didn't respect bowlers enough on days like that. They were the dangerous days for me, not on the days where I knew I had to perform. You know, I, I, I could get myself up for that. It was sort of the day in, day out um, flat wickets that we'd face with relatively benign bowlers that was was always my downfall, probably more than anything else. Okay, yeah, interesting. Um, as a real snapshot, how much would you say that the art of batting is about what you do mentally and how much is it about what you do physically? Well, you know, it, it, it's difficult. Again, you know, different individuals, um, you know, I think a lot of players uh, now probably overthink uh, things a little bit. It is, uh, for me, batting's a very simple thing. You know, they can only bowl one ball at a time mm -hmm. at you. And, you know, that's, that's the way it should be handled if you get too far ahead or worried about what has happened previously. That's where... Uh, I think a lot of the trouble starts. So it's staying in the now, just making sure that you're concentrating ball by ball, and and, and having you know a good partner at the other end who, who understands probably you as much as he understands himself. And you know, again, that that becomes in terms of relationships with you know guys that are batting at the at the other end, um, probably as well as anything else. Okay. Yeah. Um, of the guys that you've played. I suppose primarily with, but you might have seen something with people that you played against. Who would you regard as being the toughest uh, mentally? Someone who was able to withstand the pressures better than anyone else? Oh, crikey, that is a good question. You know, there's so many. Um, you, know, you know, Graham Gooch, um, you know, is probably the one that sticks in the mind from a young age as, as the one that you'd always want to get out whenever you played Essex. Um, you know, you always felt that you, you had a chance if you could get him out. Um, and then, sort of, as my career probably grew, someone in the in the in the realms of sort of Graham Hick, the guys that were just metronomical, they just bang out, you 
know, score, you know, we used to call Graham the android. We didn't think he was human. He just kept banging out runs, 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 runs. So, you know, and, and then sort of internationally looking around, he looked at, you know, the likes of Atherton and one or two others that, you know, did, nothing really phased them. They just got on with it. Graham thought was another good advocate of that. Um, that you, you, you just thought that once they got past probably 15 or 20, it would take a stick of dynamite to get them out. And, you know, those guys were mentally so strong that they would, um, you know, probably take their first 10 balls, um, you know, sorry, their, their last 10 balls, you know, as, as, as seriously as, as their first 10. And, you know, they were, they were good people to have around in terms of for us to try and learn. But at the same time, they were, they were bad that you didn't want them to stick around too long against you. But, yeah. uh, you know, there, there, was, there were some really strong individuals in and around at that time. Jimmy Cook from South Africa when he played for, for South Africa was another one who you just felt that was, um, you know, on a different planet. Um, someone who I played with probably the most, um, you know, strongest in terms of mental preparation and mental toughness was probably Tim Robinson. Um, you, you know, at times he wouldn't even talk to you for, um, you know, an hour or two if he was in his zone. Uh, he was concentrating that hard that he sort of shut off and he, he, he almost was in his own little cocoon. So, you know, the, the, there's a few that stick out over the years. Okay, yeah. Now, when you had when you had um, time taking the captaincy of the county, what did you find the biggest challenges there? Particularly, as you've mentioned, how res- how much respect you had for Rice in that position. What did you find the, the biggest challenges when when you had that role? Um, we didn't have a stronger side, that is for sure. Uh, when I was when I took over the captaincy from Tim Robinson, we were in transition. To say the least, we had a very good first year um, in the Sunday League. Um, when I was in charge, we we finished runners up in the Sunday League, and at the time, the team that we had and um, with sides elsewhere was a, a really you know it was one of the, the best achievements I've had throughout my career. But um, I think that um, what was tough is that my side at that time were very very matey uh, in terms of their relationship off the field, um, and I just found that. It was very difficult for me to, to motivate them to the levels that you know I set myself and set my teams because probably my team were, were too close as friends that they wouldn't tell one another when they fell short um, of what was required, which is what I was brought into very early on in my career and what was you know I, I felt was expected of, of of me within that team environment difficult for me to to put that same emphasis on the team that I inherited as captain yeah and did you did you find that that clash of of approach is something which you then wore quite a lot yourself and when you're thinking about results was there a tendency for you to to take that as something personal or were you able to to think of it a bit more broadly you know you know regardless of whether I was captain or not I always used to at my, my own performance and take the result personally. Yeah, it was a you know it was a team result, um, but you know I used to take that personally before I was captain anyway. So um, yeah, you know you you do shoulder responsibility. You have that uh, that responsibility as the, as the leader of the team. You know you toss up. You're the, the one at, at the end of the game that shakes hands with the opposition captain first. And you know you, you, there'd be something wrong with you if you if you didn't look at it like that. I think or. A, a certain percentage of, of what you were doing like that. So, 
yeah, you know, you, you do you do shoulder that responsibility because you're the leader of the pack, if you like. Yeah, yeah, of course. Now, as we look, I, I see this 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 span of of your, the career that you had, nineteen eighty one through till two thousand and two. What would be the would you identify? I know this is probably quite a tough question. Is the biggest differences in in cricket uh, in England from the start of that to the finish, whether that's on the field or off? Um, well, there's a few things. I think that obviously it moved away from three day cricket into four day cricket um, at the end the end of my career, uh, which I thought was a big positive. Um, I think that the the old I think if you if you talk to even modern day cricketers and certainly youngsters today that you used to start a, uh, a championship game on a Saturday and then stop after one day play a Sunday league game on the Sunday and then finish your county championship game on back on the old wicket on a Monday and a Tuesday they they, they see that as, as unbelievable they you know they, they struggle to to get their heads around that and the amount of travel. Um, at that time, with that on a Saturday, you could be playing at Trent Bridge. On a Sunday, you could be playing up in up at Old Trafford or down at, at Kent or somewhere like that, and then come back to Trent Bridge overnight to finish your following game. So, in terms of travel and fatigue and, and stuff like that, it, certainly it got better as my career uh, went on. And I suppose, looking at it, my career finished the first year of. 2020, which was a very interesting sort of time to to go from playing and in, into uh, into coaching. But uh, you know, I think the, you know travel, the the schedules, um, what they were when I started to when they finished was was the biggest thing. As probably as much as kit, the advancement of kit was a lot better. Um, whether it was you know helmets, batting gloves, pads, you know, the, every, and even. Obviously, uh, the better quality of bats uh, through the years. Um, so, I think scheduling, um, fatigue in terms of travel, etc., and and kit are the things that probably stick out between when I started and when I finished. Okay, yeah. Now, in terms of that that area that you've referred to of uh, of fatigue, I suppose that that takes two. Um, two there's two features to that typically, where there'd be physical fatigue, where people are just you're not able to perform their tasks as well as they they could have done but also that has an effect on the the mind as as well what was there again throughout your your career that was focused on the mental health of players or indeed was it that that was generally overlooked it certainly was you know i think uh, you know certainly over the last 20 years um the pca have done a wonderful job in terms of getting themselves um you know up and running and, and prepared and what, and what they give uh, to the professional players now is, is excellent and, and certainly poles apart from when I started. Um, you know, it, it was really old school, you know, back through the 80s, you know, if you said you were tired, you know, you, people would look at you gone out. If you, you know, you said you were spent a bit mentally and tired mentally, you, you know, you were basically told to man up and get on with it. Um, you know, it, uh, and that was just the nature of the beast. That was just the way it was then. Um, you know, things have, have come on such a long way now, and I think that you know, I'm not saying that they they're namby pamby now in any way, shape, or form. But uh, you know, it'd be very interesting now to put the, the group of players that are playing in the county system now back into where they were in the 80s um, and see how they got on it. You know, it was a tough time, and you wouldn't want them to be 
you'd want to experience it from an understanding point of view, yeah. but you certainly want to wouldn't want to uh, regress and go back to to that time. It it wasn't a great place for understanding and for shall we say any form of compassion within a dressing room or within a management phase of things. Okay, now when you moved from the uh, from from the playing side over to coaching uh, once more at Trent Bridge. Did you, did you find ways of being able to embody a, a, that kind of compassion and empathy with the players? I suppose having had such a long career yourself, they can look at you and say, well, actually, yeah, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He's been here, there and everywhere. Um, what was there it, from your uh, approach to coaching that was able to perhaps just play a little bit more on the, the welfare and the well-being of players? I think the, you know, the fact that we're playing four-day cricket you know, was pretty much done for us. Um, and um, sort of with the advent of, of uh, you know, the, the very short format of the game 2020 at the time and uh, within the, the one-day stuff as well, you know, fortunately, um, you know, I was considered probably as good, if not a better one-day player than I was a four-day cricketer. But in my philosophy of coaching, I think it worked the other way around. But, you know, I needed to give them a very good base and a very good grounding to play the longer format and then bolt on uh, over a period of time. Uh, you know what is required to be, um, you know, a really good one-day cricketer, and I think that uh, from where I started to where they are now, that has probably been flipped around a little bit the other way. But uh, I think primarily a lot of players and a lot of clubs are looking far more to, um, you know, give themselves a little bit more chance to be a success in, in white, white ball cricket than they do red ball cricket. So it was a little bit of a challenge. Um, you know, with some of the ones that wanted to be a success in white ball cricket rather than red ball. Um, but my philosophies were very much about making sure that they, they had a very good sound technique and then you can bolt all the other fancy stuff onto that at a later date as they, they progress and develop. Okay, yeah. Now, I suppose this question, uh, that I'm gonna, uh, the penultimate question I'm going to ask could take any direction really, but... From such an extensive time in cricket, whether playing or, or coaching, what would you say the great lesson that cricket has provided you just as a, as a bloke, um, whether that be for good or for bad? Um, well, I suppose um, th throughout um, my, my playing career, it, it was um, you know, just to acknowledge the fact that you were... I think cricket is a very strange strange game where it's very uh, individualistic uh, game played in a team environment and I think that you know if, if you treat it like that you, you will you will stumble and you'll fall so it's, it's making sure that you maintain the fact that you you're playing in a in a team environment with people around you and you know you very much got that and you need to give support to the, to the others in and around you and I think that is pretty much true outside of cricket in terms of friendship circles and, and just making sure that you don't take uh, too much responsibility for, for whatever it is on, on yourself without having sort of sounding boards around. Um, so, you know, that, that, that is certainly a big thing. Uh, I think that's a great way to finish. Paul, I really appreciate you giving me your time this morning um, and good luck with whatever the future holds for you. Cheers, thanks very much.